I visited your home this morning. After you left, I tried to play husband. I tried to taste the life of a simple man. Didn't work out. So I took a souvenir. The greatest movie of all time. Today on the show, Seven. The greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie. Come on and hear me now. Greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie. Come on and hear me now. Welcome, everyone, to the greatest movie of all time, the podcast in which I, your co-host, Mr. Wonderful Rick Barrasso. And I, your co-host, Derek Reck, the Big Deck Boski Smythe. We're going to watch every single movie ever made and help decide which is the greatest of them all. And today, we have my favorite guest on the show that we've ever had coming back <laughs> for part two, and that is my beautiful wife, Jen Barrasso. Hi guys. What's up? <laughs> this is Thanks. this is this is part two, kind of. Yeah, you're you're right because it's like the two like thriller horror esque movies. Yeah. You know, I it's have a type. You do. You know, it's interesting, and I'm glad we're doing this next week. Derek and I are doing Silence of the Lambs, which is very similar in that weird. But we'll talk about that more uh, yeah. as we go on. Now, let's talk about last week, because we're one week away from retirement with seven, but let's take care of some business here. Last week, we had special guest Katie Swinbeck on the show for Ghostbusters. It was a great episode. Check that one out or any of our library on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever app you use. Subscribe and review if you can. It is extremely helpful for the show. And if you enjoyed this episode or if you have anything else you want us to cover, let us know on social media. We are... The Greatest Movie of All Time podcast on Facebook. We are at Great Movie Cast on Twitter. We are at Rick and Rec on Instagram. And you can always shoot us an email at greatestmoviepod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And of course, as our old friend from Back on the Force would say, Bruce Wayne, tell your friends about us. But now, let's answer that eternal question. What's in the box? As we take a... <laughs> Deep dive. Come on, Rick. Do, 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 come on. Let, let's get closer. Let's get closer to the actual what's impression. The, what's, in the, what's in the box? I know. You pulled it out really early. What's in the box? Well, I'll Some, tell you. I'll tell, tell you. It was a bad day that day. <laughs> Someone said, what's in the box? Seven. <laughs> seven or sevenin, depending on how you stylize it, uh, is a 1995 police horror thriller kind of its own thing directed by David Fincher. It stars Morgan Freeman as William Somerset, Brad Pitt as David Mills, Gwyneth Paltrow as Tracy Mills, and acquaintance of the show Kevin Spacey as John Doe. It made $327 million in 1995 money on a $33 million budget. It has an 8.6 on IMDb, an 81% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 65% on Metacritic. I don't know oh what God. the fuck's up with Metacritic. Metacritic is like the least, my Here, least favorite website. Here's what's interesting. I don't think critics 
at the time really knew what to make of this movie. Oh my god! I don't. It doesn't. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter what time you're in. It's, it's if it's a good movie, it's a good movie. Like what? I agree, but let's even the critics who liked it had reservations about it because it it is really in your face. Even today, as you know, the three of us we all watch a bunch of horror movies. Grizzly, gory shit probably isn't going to get to us too much, but I think certain critics that really kind of like hit them in the gut a lot. Let's let's go through. Ebert, three and a half out of four stars. He really liked it, but he weirdly didn't like the ending, which I think is incredible. The uh, ending is fantastic. Yes. The demon Gene Siskel, three out of four, liked it a lot, but thought it was too gory. Oh as, for, as, as for a, a negative review, uh, Jamie Bernard from the New York Daily News didn't like it at all, says it lacked humor, and it had no psychology. Oh, humor, because that's what's needed in horror movies. Got it. Got How did it. it have no psychology? <laughs> okay. That makes no sense. That's like, <laughs> might have been the worst review I've heard on the show yet. There's, there's a lot of reviews, though, that are like that. They look at this, and they want to try to compare it. Reviewers, I think, and critics tend to want to compare something, want to have, like, based in something they know. So I think a lot of reviewers were like, well, this isn't Silence of the Lambs. This isn't, this is neither fish nor fowl. This is not a horror movie. It's not, because when they say it didn't have humor, what they were saying is it didn't have the humor of a slasher movie. Like it didn't have the campy fun of, you know, of a, a Friday the 13th or something. And you like know what that. I say to that is thank God. Yeah, and, and I think there were so many movies that came out of this that wouldn't exist without this is this is, it, it's kind of groundbreaking in a way. Like there, there, there isn't much like this, especially so stylized and, and moody as this one is. But Jen, we gave you the list of movies we're doing coming up and you wanted in on seven, why seven? I've just always really enjoyed this movie. Like, um... Anytime I want to watch a good horror movie, I can throw this one on and I'm not going to be disappointed. And no matter how many times I watch it, it's still just as good as the first time. So I really, um, I just really enjoyed it. Well, I'm glad you're on this one. Uh, do you remember some of the first few times you saw it, what you initially thought of it or around what age you first saw it? Um, I don't remember the first time I saw it, um, but I, I think I particularly liked this movie because there were still parts of it that surprised me. And there aren't a lot of movies that do that, especially the ending the first time I watched it. I didn't expect what was in the box. It it is good when you don't guess an ending to a movie. That's Mm, that's that's always a plus because you're you're very good at that. As as we talked about in our uh, our Sixth Sense episode. Six, seven, any movies with eight that you want to do for your next one? <laughs> the Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight, let's do it. <laughs> I mean, if I'm being true to myself, it's probably Eight Mile. You know what? Let's keep, let's keep it going. <laughs> let's keep the number theme going next time you're on. We'll figure out. We'll do nine. There's a bunch of movies with nine in the title. So, Derek, do you remember when you first saw Seven? 
Um, I, this was definitely one of those movies that I went to Newbury Comics and just like, you know, I think like in the mid 2000s, I was like, I'm just going to buy like 30 movies on DVD that I've heard about. And one of them was definitely seven Reservoir Dogs, movies like that. 90s movies that I had heard about through the grapevine. And I don't remember specifically seeing it for the first time, but I remember the effect it had on me. And it was one of those movies since then and all the way up to now, it is one of those movies I could literally watch every couple of days and never get sick of it. No matter what kind of a mood I'm in. I just don't care what mood I'm in because I'm usually always kind of like, if I'm not watching a movie and I'm just like going through YouTube, I'm looking for like, what kind of fucked up shit can I find? Because that's just where my brain goes. And not like, you know, not for my sick, twisted brain. It just interests me. For instance, two weekends ago, I spent the entire Saturday or uh, just uh, it, while it was raining out, just watching YouTube videos about the bottom of the ocean and how deep it goes and like the things we don't know about it. And it just creeped me out. And then uh, when I watched Seven again, I was like, God damn, this is, this is so close to perfect for me. I don't know what else, what, what else can get close. And I think you hit the nail on the head, Rick. It's like, it's its own genre almost. It's not, I don't, I, I, even Gia was like, is it a horror though? Is it a thriller? I'm like, I don't know. It's in there somewhere. I, I rather described as neo-noir. Uh, neo mm. well, it, it, it seems it, pretty. It is. And I think it has, it takes a little bit from noir, but yeah. noirs aren't grisly. Noirs are all about the shadows and like stuff like that. So it's, it kind of takes it in a total different direction. Right. Yeah. It's, it's definitely its own thing. Yeah. It's, it's Fincher-esque. I, th- I mean, I think next week's episode of Silence of the Lambs is maybe the closest, but it, it, this is almost like in some scenes, like Gothic, like it's, you know, and when I said, I mean like German expressionist Gothic. You know, what's weird though. And maybe, maybe it's just me, but I, Silence of the Lambs is another one of my absolute, favorite movies but i feel like both of these movies even though they're so close and what type they are they both have two different moods yes i feel differently after watching each film and this one specifically is like for me it almost comes close to being like an art movie well it's it's to me it's it's i think they're both almost art movies in different ways because you have to look at like the music choices in each movie whereas you know silence of the lambs there's scenes with opera and this there's scenes with you know the opening credits are nine inch nails and that's like the perfect you know this is kind of the nine inch nails gen x thing in this movie a lot and you know to the point of the aesthetics of the movie i don't know if i could tell you the first time i saw it but i remember the first time i knew i wanted to see it and that's because i was at as many of these movies that I've picked up, I was at an older, I was an aunt and uncle's house and an older cousin had the DVD and I saw the cover art on the DVD, which is the same one that I have now still. And like, I was looking through it and I was like, this looks like something I would like. And I kept it in my head. And as soon as I saw it at, you know, a, a Sam Goody or a, you know, or a, a, a DVD place that sold DVDs, I was like, I'm going to grab that one. And that is when I first saw it. So definitely like the imagery is, is, it grabs you. It's very striking. So in case you haven't seen the movie, first of all, what are you doing? Go, go get it. Uh, we're going to tell you what happened. Come on, Rick. Gonna... You, know, you know that I insult, I insult the audience, not you. That's true. We're going to, I'm sure you'll be insulting the audience in your 30 seconds, but... <laughs> Let's tell you what happens in it. Derek, have you chosen a song to yeah, tell me Yeah, man. We're, we're going to do, do Closer by Nine Inch Nails. Right. Yeah. And I, I think we should play it, man. I think we should just do it. 
Let's do it. Count me down. I'm talking about like actually play it. We're not going to do that. This is not the greatest album of all time podcast. All right. It'd be fun, but okay. Rick doesn't like to have fun. No, okay, I don't. So I hate fun. We all, everyone on this I've podcast knows I hate fun. All right. Well, that. <laughs> all right, let's do it. All right. Let's see here. Three, two, one, go. Veteran detective Somerset and newcomer Mills are on the case of what they find out is a serial killer who is basing his increasingly elaborate and grisly murders on the seven deadly sins. Mills had just moved to the unnamed city with his wife, secretly pregnant Tracy. The detectives track down the killer, a man named John Doe. He eventually turns himself in, but not before revealing to Mills that he had Tracy killed by having her head delivered he had killed Tracy and had her head delivered in a box. Mills kills John, completing the killer's plan. Somerset despairs at the state of the world. The end. I gave you two extra seconds because I wanted to hear it. I, st I, st I stumbled over my words a little bit there. Tough. My bad. <laughs> but that's the idea. You get it. Yeah. Watch the movie. It's all about the atmosphere in a lot, in, and I guess the twist at the end. But if you don't know what the twist is at this point, I, I'm impressed, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure this movie uh, definitely uh, ha hasn't been seen by everybody. I think people, a lot of people I know, like this, this steer away from movies like this because they, they don't want to like be thinking about it for days. But I just call them wimps. I, I mean, like, though, I think that even just that what's in the box is such like a ingrained in our <laughs> culture now. Like when I hear like something about a box, it's either what's in the box or dick in a box. Those are my two thoughts. <laughs> I have a slightly different thing, and it's because I was brought up on the television movie Raggedy Ann and Andy, the musical, which Toy Story <laughs> stole literally everything from. And uh, there's a there's another what's in the box reference in that that's that's sung by two twin toys that are really creepy. That's where I go. Yeah, uh, that's but, probably a little more wholesome. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. But so, Toy Story. Speaking <laughs> of Toy Story stealing things, there is a Disney. TV movie called The Christmas Toy, which is from like the late 80s, I think. That is exactly Toy Story. Yeah. It's, it's like the concept, like toys come alive and they talk and like there it's, and there's like a new toy at Christmas. It's, it's unreal. That, that's literally what Raggedy Ann and Andy is only it's like late seventies and it's a musical and it's fun, but we were watching it the other day and I, I literally cried through half of it because I just was thinking about my childhood. If anybody ever filmed me watching Raggedy Ann and Andy and crying, I mean, I'm sure I'd get beaten, but you know. Well, Derek, what? if you'll turn your attention to your screen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about our three favorite scenes in the movie or, you know, our, our, our top three scenes. So Jen, you're the guest. What's your number three favorite scene? I really am back and forth on this between two. I guess if I had to pick one, I'm going to go with the sloth scene. There's like a great lead up of them like going into the building, thinking that they're going to like catch the guy who's responsible for this. And when they get in there, they find another victim, which is like a, a, a fun twist. But my favorite part is that when they actually discover that this guy hasn't died, that he's still alive. Um, and I was actually, when I was preparing for this, I was reading that, the SWAT guys actually didn't know that the actor was supposed to be alive. So their like stunned reactions or like their gasps are all kind of real responses, which is cool. John C. McGinley is such a great asshole in this scene. 
<laughs> he's like, you fucking deserve, he's like, you deserved it, fucker. Whatever yeah, he's he like, you got what you deserved. deserved and yeah. then you can just see like his eyes bug out and it's a great, yeah, it's a great scene. This is one of those things we're going to keep talking about over and over and over again. But my God, the makeup in this movie, yeah. it's so good. The makeup, the way that the scene is lit. Like, I feel like looking around, like I can smell that in my head. And I, Oh my God, yeah. All the fucking pine tree, pine tree, like air fresheners hanging on the ceiling. Yep. Just, yeah. just that scene alone. It just, it just, yeah, you're right. It's like, I can smell something rotting in that scene and it's, it's tremendous. It really is. The whole buildup, everything about it is just great. Uh, and, and I jumped a mile again when he, you know, when they reveal his face and everything and he still alive and he coughs and like, I jumped again and I'm like, when will <laughs> I not fall for this? <laughs> I love the, yeah, it's so well done. Yeah. I, I also love the like scene almost immediately afterwards when he's like in the when the, when uh, Somerset and Mills are asking the doctor if you know did oh, he say, that's did, a great did, line. did he communicate in any way and the doctor's like even if his brain wasn't mush which it is and it's just like everyone in this city is a fucking scumbag yeah like even well the- at the end too he's like you know he's basically he's lived through hell and he's still got hell to look forward to yeah yeah. And I was like, wow, that's harsh. Derek, what's your number three? So mine is the iconic what's in the box. Uh, it's my number three. I liked so many scenes from this movie. I didn't want to be completely obvious here. Uh, but I love the whole scene. Like the whole, the whole car ride up to that scene is amazing. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's all dialogue. And the, the one thing I mentioned when I was watching this is because, to Gia because she was watching with me is, there's one scene in this movie where there's a lot of action and that's literally it. There's one action scene and it's not one of my favorite scenes. I think it's great. I think it's perfect, but to me, it's the dialogue and the psychology of the whole movie. And just to have, you finally get to really hear John Doe speak and he's playing everybody so well. He's like the, uh, you know, the puppeteer, if you will. And I love, I really love uh, the acting in this scene. Morgan Freeman is so calm and so intelligent and so smart and just collective of his thoughts that he's like, I want to learn about you, John Doe. Like, why do you do the things you do? Can I talk to you? He has a regular conversation with him while he's in the back seat. Yeah. And Detective Mills is just, he's just so... I know people like him, you know, I know people who are just so, they can't, it's, he's like the Sonny Corleone of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's just a hothead who can't, when he does, and when he does calm down, he like tricks you that he didn't really calm down. And then he kicks the door open to his apartment late, you know, early in the movie. But this whole scene is tremendous. And then the, the, the big twist is like, holy shit. Like I couldn't have thought of something like that happening. It's just, it's just so mind boggling, especially where, you know, the writer specifically wants you to see so much, of of detective um to, for tracy tracy so you get to kind of like her and like you know quinnis paltrow she's that kind of like cutesy actress who like you just kind of like she's upset and she's depressed about being in this new town and you feel for her you're like this really sucks for her and she's she's pregnant and her husband doesn't know all these things it builds up to her literally being decapitated by this maniac and it's like it's it's not just Spoiler sad. alert, Derek. Well, you know, if you haven't seen the movie, you know. I mean, you listen to my description. I'm sure it was very clear. And <laughs> yeah. About it. Well, I just like you know, if you if it's you just you just feel for, and it's not like she got killed. Like she wasn't suffocated. She wasn't you know drink. She didn't drink poison. Her head was removed from her, from her body. So it's like not just 
sad and upsetting, but it's disgusting. So you get all these emotions at the end of the movie of like, what the fuck? And, you know, movies nowadays pick up from that, right? A24 movies like Midsummer and Hereditary are like, we're going to take this even further and make you literally question your entire life at the end of these movies. But I think it all came from Seven because there's been twists before Seven. But this was like, uh, uh, the ending is like, there's no real happy ending. It's not even bittersweet. It's just horrifying. And then life goes on. And Morgan Freeman's like, you'll see me around. I'll be around when more fucked up shit happens and stuff. Uh, The whole thing is tremendous. The last scene in the movie, the last line in the movie is literally him saying, the world is a bad place. Like, it's just... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it's so pessimistic but i think we'll be talking about uh, that well i do before before we move on i do i do want to just spew out this quick quick monologue by john doe that i fucking love okay innocent is that supposed to be funny an obese man a disgusting man who could barely stand up a man who if you saw him on the street you'd point out to your friends so that they could join you in mocking him a man who if you saw him while you were eating you wouldn't be able to finish your meal after him, I picked a lawyer, and I know you both must have been secretly thinking me for that one. This is a man who dedicated his life to making money by lying with every breath that he could muster to keeping murderers and rapists on the streets. That's just part of it. And when you start to hear him, you're like, he's right. <laughs> but it's, it's fucked up at the same time because he's a screwed up person, but he's, he's, he's trying to rid what he thinks is wrong. He's not right, of course, by any means, but sometimes he makes sense when he talks about the lawyer and the woman uh, being more, you know, you know what I'm saying? You know, I think we can agree on that in, in, a, right. in a sense, but not, not a hundred percent. Anyways, and, I just wanted to do that. And Morgan Freeman is the one that's like talking sense throughout the whole movie. Whereas like the rebuttals to him are, or in like other characters as well, are already there throughout the movie. Whereas his lawyer is just like, listen, this is a constitutional right this person has to have them defended by my like to the best of my ability right so it's it's like the the rebuttals are there and it's i love the the aspect of the scene in the car especially that i like is i feel like mills and john doe are so polar opposite that they can't they're in the car for like five minutes and they're already like getting under each other's skin so much right John Doe is like, I, I admire like what this guy does, but fuck this guy in a lot of ways. And obviously, right. uh, you know, Mills is like, Mills in a lot of ways wants to break the rules to get the desired end game of, of himself for himself. But obviously John Doe takes it way off the rails, but they're like, they're so like butting heads that they're like, fuck you. Yeah. And it's like the, the whole movie, you don't even realize, like I didn't realize this until the ending, of course. And when I really think, dig into it, but like detective Mills is literally wrath. Yes. You know, he is a, he is a sin within himself, the way the movie portrays him. And like, you don't realize until the end that he's not just a cocky asshole. He's just, he's really wrathful. Like that's just the way he is. And so it's going to bite him in the ass and it's a, just a, a great lesson. So my number three, I had so close to a tie that Jen said one of them, so I'm going to take the other one. Gluttony and sloth. Mm, you guys. You Those guys were are, my tie. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, yeah. Guys are, you, yeah uh, you guys are foreshadowing my, my big one. <laughs> okay. So gluttony is the scene where they discover this corpse of just a hugely obese man. And like the, the techs or like CSI guys are like mocking him kind of. Right. And it, it's like, what the fuck is happening here? What is this? This guy does not look human. 
what what could have led to this situation and it, it's so atmospheric and somerset and mills are still kind of you know at at odds uh in this scene and kind of going back and forth but it's it's just incredible where it's like all right this is the world we're in right now well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be talking about it again, but I just wanted to really quick just say, like, this is the scene that really sets off everything. Yeah. It really, like you said, it, it just yeah. drags you into this world and says, look at what we're doing here. And there's just the attention to detail by the crew and everything and the way the room looks, the darkness of it with the flashlights, everything you that see is, is incredible. It's incredible. And everything you see has a, has a purpose and just the way it's set up and everything. And it's just, it's brilliant. It, it really is. Jan, what's your two? My number two was the chase scene um, when he's pursuing him through the apartment and then like down the alleyway. Um, I really love how the scene was shot. I think that I'm usually really bothered by like shaky camera, Mm -hmm. um, camera work. But in this uh, instance, I felt like it worked really well. Like it felt like it brought me into the action. And then I also really liked uh, just how they did like the the scenery I was saying to Rick like, I did home care um, as a nurse and what you know seeing him walk into that apartment building I was like I have been in a place that looks like this wow um, so yeah it was just a really cool scene yeah and it's it's actually it's strange to me to think that like John Doe is also like physically intense as well as like mentally intense because he gets the best of mills and mm-hmm. you know it's like what like he is this guy too it's just yeah the, the, and it's it's great like i mentioned before it's like the only scene that's really like really action-packed that it does its job really really well and uh yeah it's just interesting also like the whole point of like you know um doc, detective detective somerset saying like i don't pull out my gun i've only done it like once and with the intent of using it and then he does it again, like he, and he then knows. And gets pulled out, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, oh, this is number two, and it's, this is pretty intense. So, um, But it's interesting to see, like, Detective Mills goes right for John Doe. Somerset's a little bit more strategic and kind of, like, walking down backstairs and, like, look, you know, scoping out the area. Um, and, you know, Detective Mills being so, you know, so forthcoming and, and you know, rash or whatever, whatever the word is, brash, brash, I meant to say, he literally would have gotten killed if it wasn't for John Doe being like, you know what, you're, in, you're, you're, you're a bigger part of my plan. So and I love, I love that they made that choice that they included that because yeah. um, they could have just had Kevin Spacey uh, or John Doe get away. Like he could just get away and you don't actually need that part there. And then to include that where he could have just killed Mills and been done with it. Um, and instead you see like he does have that restraint. He has that thought process where he's got that bigger plan for Mills. I think it really leads into the rest of the movie really well. Do you think that John Doe had him in mind and, and Tracy the entire time? Or do you think he made up his mind after Mills started approaching him? He's like, you know what, these him and his you know, housewife are going to be the, the targets for the end. I, I don't know. I don't know what I think. It's, it, I think probably when he, in the scene where he took their picture. The, yeah. Looked, that's what I was into thinking. Them. Yeah. Right. Right. I think he, cause when they, well, I, well, we might talk about it later, but when they get into the apartment and they see the picture developed, like in the, um, I don't know if it's a sink or a tub or whatever it is, but um, I think that that was Kevin Spacey, took that picture and then that was what he was fixated on. He perseverated on that 
right. then wanted to become MILF. That's so interesting. And That's I, so weird, yeah. And I, I, I think also, I do wonder, because he, he does say to, um, to Mills on the phone, it was like, you've moved up my time frame. So I do wonder maybe if his initial, he had plans for someone else. Because it, it seemed like some of his other targets were connected in some way. Mm -hmm. Obviously up to, and, and to, uh, to Tracy. So I do wonder if like, he had other people in mind and then he just saw Mills and he was like, all right. Right. I don't know because I feel like I feel like even in his first interaction with Mills, he is showing that wrath, that rage, that yeah. is you know what he's identifying with at the end. So it's the same behaviors. But on the other hand, if you look at, I mean, Mills just got to town. He had started this plan a year ago with the with the sloth killing. So. Mm -hmm. You know, was he like, well, I hope I find somebody who's going to fit wrath and envy for me? Or do you wonder if, like, you know, he's like, did, did Mills's fucking hothead, like, save two lives, two, like, two other people's lives that are just walking around would have been dead? Right. Possibly. So, Derek, what's your, uh, what's your two? My number two is uh, John Doe's apartment. It's, uh, again, like we talked about, just, just, just everything in its right place the it 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 brings you into a universe that that you can't even fathom at this point just when somerset opens up the notebook and just starts reading just like one small passage of john doe's life it's like my god like this movie is just it's it's so big it's bigger than my head now it's like i, I want to see more of it i would have loved to have seen you know like a an hbo series in this universe or something that, that, you know something on this level but just the notebooks alone and how many there were and he's like if we, even if we had a thousand men reading in 24 hour periods, we wouldn't even get through half of these and stuff. And it's amazing to think that, you know, I, I just, there is so much to unravel in the scene alone, the bathtub, the pictures, the notebooks. I think there's like, isn't there like frames and, and pictures of like um, his, his literally his fingertips cut off yeah. and like put in frames and stuff. And there's so much, to, there's so much here that's amazing. And uh you know, the telephone ringing and Mills picking it up and having this discussion. And, 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 and this is the point where you feel like John Doe really has the upper hand over them. Um, John Doe has the upper hand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and even, even leading up to that scene, like I, I kind of mentioned it a little bit before when, when uh, Somerset's like, Mills, do not kick this door open. We do not have probable cause, all this stuff. And he's like, he finally calms Mills down. He's like, you're right. You're, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then kicks it open. And I think Somerset says like, he's like, you stupid son of a bitch or whatever he says. Um, but I think this is like the one point in the movie where Mills is right. Like, just fucking do it. You gotta, you, you gotta dig, you gotta dig this out and see what's going on. But I, I get, I get both sides. But it's a great scene. It really yeah. is. So I think something that that I picked up on a lot in this viewing is just like, whenever Somerset looks at Mills, he's just seeing like the next twenty years are going to fucking destroy you. Like you're so, <laughs> like yeah. every time he looks at him, it's just like you're going to be me. Like maybe not as smart as me. But yeah, I wonder, uh, sorry to interrupt, but I wonder if like he's also looking at Mills and being like the next 20 years is going to suck even more in the city because of detectives like you and like the next generation of detectives have your hot headed brains. Uh, I wonder if that's also something he's look he looks at. Like the, the thing I think is interesting about that character is like there's this scene where they have this back and forth and um, um, 
Somerset is just talking about how he doesn't want to be there anymore because everybody is so apathetic and it's like he's the epitome of apathetic right <laughs> yeah yeah do, do you know what just occurred to me as we're talking you know it would absolutely not exist if not for this movie every single opening credits to every season of american horror story Oh, you're absolutely right. 100, 100. Yeah. Yeah. I think I remember when I was watching the first season, I remember saying out loud, this reminds me of Seven yeah. or something to that effect. But yeah, totally. And and yeah, you're right about that. I read something that they like spent $15,000 on those notebooks because Kevin yeah. Spacey wanted them to be legitimate. Oh, yeah. Wait, no, so, and wait, so did he actually, was it him that, who like wrote on those? No, it was. It, it no. Was, the, the way I heard it, it was like, David Fincher thing. He's so exacting that he's like, everything has to be legit. Like if you open up, if someone, if an actor in the scene grabbed a notebook and looked in it, he wanted there to be writing in it. Right. All those notebooks filled out. I want like, like, and that's one of those things where I love in horror movies where like, you know, when there's like a, a scary thing that you're not supposed to like, you're supposed to be afraid of, but you see it only a few times and it makes it scarier because it's the unknown. You could use your brain. I like this because there's so many notebooks, but you have no clue what he says in them. And it makes me like, Oh, like I want to like, I want to know, but because I don't, it makes it even better. Imagine being the PA on this movie where it's just like, all right, so the next few nights, here's what you need to do. Fill out 150 notebooks. <laughs> just with the rambling <laughs> nonsense of a serial killer. Okay. See you. See you Tuesday. Have a good yeah. weekend. <laughs> I think I think Gia said this, and I think she's right. She's like, you, you know, if this was a Tarantino movie, Quentin would have been the one doing all the notebooks, because he's he's that type of director as well, where like he has to be hands on and like make sure everything in the scene is, you know. But Fincher, uh, he nails it, man. It's, well, we'll see in this. I mean, if this were a Tarantino movie, one thing we definitely see is a lot more of Tracy's feet. They'd be your that's, that's very true. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. So I took her pretty feet. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> what's in the box? It's her feet. It's a foot. <laughs> she could be fine. I don't know. She doesn't need her feet, I guess. We'll, we'll have to chat. call her. <laughs> All right, so my number two is a short scene, but it's one that has always stuck with me ever since I saw the movie, and that is the interrogation after the lust murder with yeah, Leland, yeah. Leland Orser is the actor. And just an incredible performance where he's like hyperventilating himself. He made me put the thing. He made me put it on. He made me fuck her. Like it's it's just stuck in my head now for the fifteen, yeah, you know, more than fifteen years now. I guess since I've seen the movie, twenty years now since I've seen the movie. It's it's the almost the first thing, other than the, the twist at the end. It's the first thing that comes to my head when I think of this movie. It's right. just that it's you know and. You know, this is what they say, like, you know, actors and, you know, especially, I mean, how we talk about wrestling all the time. It's like, whenever you're on screen, you're on screen. Like, if you have a minute, use your minute. If you have 30 seconds, that's 30 seconds that nobody else has. Yeah, you're right. He's so memorable, that actor. Yeah, yeah um, and, he, and he'll pop up in things from time to time, be like, it's the fucking seven guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So a brutal, brutal scene. Even like the, uh, just the music to the intense, heavy, like industrial type, like nineties music, like just thumping in the background. Like, you know, something's yeah. going to happen. It's just, yeah. Great, great choice. Yeah. Jen, number one. I mean, my number one's the ending. It's definitely the, the what's in the box, but I would start it with that car ride leading up 
to um, getting to the that big like open field area. Um, that back and forth dialogue is fantastic. And once you get to the ending, a lot of that conversation makes so much more sense when you're thinking about what Kevin Spacey knows that the other characters don't yet know. But the thing I think I love the most about it is it doesn't have the ending you might expect. Like you would think most movies would not go with like ending it like that. So I really enjoyed how they wrapped that whole thing up. Ernest Hemingway once wrote, the world is a fine place and worth fighting for. I agree with the <laughs> second part. <laughs> so I, I'm going to jump on this because it's my, it's my number one as well. And I would even stretch it back a little bit to pretty much everything from the second you see like Kevin Spacey walk into that police station. like Covered in blood. Covered in blood. And he says like, D detective. Yeah. yeah, like that line read is like, oh shit! Like, guess who's in the movie now? And mm -hmm. and even on rewatch, the the scene where they're sitting with uh, Arlie Ermey and and Richard Roundtree, and they're like casually, and uh, Richard Schiff as the fucking lawyer. It's like great that he's in there. A little bit part for him. They're all discussing so like casually. It's like I guess we'll just like take him, and it's like you don't understand like on second on this rewatch, like you're like all your worlds are going to be fucking destroyed because of this decision. Yeah. And they're just like, yeah, I guess we'll just do it. It's like, it's your call. Like, let's figure it out. And then it just ramps up with the, the car conversation. Yeah. Obviously the stuff out in the field and, and you know, what's in the box and what's in the box. And what's in the box? What's in the box? You're a liar. <laughs> I love when he starts screaming at him. Like it's so good. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just, it fucking blows you away. You're just like, you can't take it's your really eyes It's really just unforgettable. Yeah, it's it's really good. So I jumped in there. So Derek, I know you have a different number one, I think. I do, yeah. And you guys talked about both scenes already. It's a tie between gluttony and sloth. Um, <laughs> it's, which is funny. Uh, it's, they're, they're just, um, it's just, it's just like a big step in filmmaking in my opinion. It's just uh, the crew, the directing, the writing, the way things look, the way things are, just this very large man sitting in the chair with his, with his ankles chained up and his in and there's a bucket of vomit and he's just, it, everything about the scene is so grotesque in, in such a profound way and, uh, and the acting is phenomenal and then, you know, later, later in the reveal, because I'll continue on with this, is when Somerset moves the fridge and figures it out and sees gluttony and painted in, you know, grease, um, and then uh, he, he finds those little pieces, I guess what uh, the, the examiner, I guess, pulled out these little pieces of like plastic or whatever from the, the man's belly and he finds out where they were on the floor. And it's just, it, it gets worse and worse. Like just how bad is this? And then, um, and then with Sloth, of course, it's the same thing. I think the big thing was for that, uh, for me was the pictures that they noticed from, you know, 365 pictures from every single day of the year mm -hmm. and just w seeing the man deteriorate. And uh, it's just, it's beyond belief to me. And, and I think every time I watch this movie, I, I, I just, uh, it just moves up further and further on my list of just top movies I've ever seen. And I think these two scenes right here are a big part of that, that reason. Excellent. So let's go on to our least favorite part of the movie. And I'll just say it up front. I'll go first here. Kevin Spacey's uh, extracurricular activities, let's call them. Uh, it sucks to watch a movie and hate that you like part of it. Like, I, 
I, I, yeah. I yeah. wish that I wish that for so many reasons that didn't happen, but just from, from, you know, relevant to the podcast, it's like here, like we, we, Jen and I, we talked about it while we were watching and it's like the, the scene where he's like, Oh yeah. Like I killed the, uh, you know, I killed the drug dealing scum, a pederast by the way. And it's like, well, yeah. You know, what's going through your head when you're reading that line, you know? I know the amount of disdain that like it drips from his mouth when he says that word and like you're talking about yourself. Right, right. There's the bit, uh, I I mean, has obviously like, yeah, that's a thing, but like for me, allegedly, because I was was not convicted. That's my point. There's been no convictions, but that doesn't mean mean shit, but like I can take myself out of it for a lot of it. Um, Yeah. Even like, you know, again, I don't want to keep bringing up wrestling, but like I can still watch Chris Benoit matches because I like the art. And I mean, Kevin Spacey, he's a great actor. I mean, there's just no ifs, ands, about about, yeah. about it. Uh, but yeah, it, it is, it is, you're right about that. It's hard lo- loving somebody, but you, you can't help but love them in this movie. He's so tremendous. It's, this is the way it is. All right, Jen, what's your least favorite part of the movie? So my least favorite is, is not my least favorite because it's bad. It's actually really good, but it's my least favorite because it's just so uncomfortable for me. And that is kind of watching the lust scene it's done so well and and the thing that gets me about this movie is they really don't show a lot of violence in this movie they show the aftermath but they don't actually show any of the violence actually happening so like in another horror movie the scene would have been totally different it would have been like gory and super graphic Um, but I think this is almost worse because it lets my imagination run wild and so when you see that the picture of the contraption sitting like on the uh, table in the, the, in the interrogation room. And then you hear the story with that, like, Oh, I just get this sick feeling in my stomach. Um, just thinking about what that would even be like. And how about the fact that the guy, like some guy made that for someone like, do you not know that's going to harm someone? Yeah. I just, I don't know. It just, I, I guess you can make yeah. the same, the same thing about, you can just basically be like, well, guns are made, but that, that's, a, it's, it's made to kill someone. Yeah. And he it's made just a-, a really tough watch for me uh, as a woman, uh, yeah. that particular scene. But I think that's also a testament as to like how well done it is because I mean, like I, I'm a nurse. I have seen and done some really gross shit. It takes a lot to like wake me out and oh, that was like above and beyond. It just gives me like that, uh, that gross feeling. And, and yeah. I love, and it, every like bit part in this movie is like, is, is incredible in one way or another. You know, the guy who made that where he's like, Hey, I just thought he was like a, uh, you know, I just thought he was like a, an artist or something. You know, one of those guys who pisses in a cup and it's like, yeah, he's so like nonchalantly, awful like everyone mm-hmm. in this movie is a bad person in one way or the other i guess except, right. <laughs> except somerset and and uh and tracy but it's like the city just infects everyone right and it's you know it's a city they never name what city it is it's raining every single time they're in the city the only outside scene it's not raining is the very end when they're like on the outskirts of the city and I've heard one fan theory. This is the only thing that makes sense. Is that they're in Gotham City. <laughs> pre, pre-Batman. Pre-supervillains. John Doe's kind of a Batman villain. 
Oh, for kind sure. Kind of. I don't okay. need it. Because yeah. Batman villains are t- typically just crazy people, so yeah. it works. Yeah. And it's like, you know, Jim Gordon hasn't got there to clean up the police force yet. Yeah, Batman hasn't shown up. Bruce Wayne's probably not even born. But Mark Mark Boone Jr. is in this and Batman Mark begins. Boone, yeah, there you go. There's, <laughs> There's the connection. connection right there. There it is. There it is. Playing the same exact part. Well, no, he's a, he's a detective in Batman Begins. Wow. He's an FBI guy in this. Well, he he, he changed jobs. That's true. He's, he's he got he got fired. He got he <laughs> got, got his in. He got yeah. well. I mean, you, fucking Morgan Freeman's in it too, so it can't really. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, he's he's not Lucius Fox yet. <laughs> he's he's like after I retired, I got a job at Wayne Industries, Wayne Enterprises. <laughs> I'm a tech guy. <laughs> I do tech shit now. Uh, so, if only if only we found out that John Doe is like doctor is like Doctor Jonathan Crane. That's exactly what it is. We gotta send this son of a bitch to Occam. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Derek, what's your least favorite movie? So uh, there there are moments where I'm just beaten. I'm just I'm just bested by my wife, and she just says things that are just better than things that I could have thought. I buy it. And uh, <laughs> definitely, it's the <laughs> it truth. Sounds accurate. Yeah. It's very accurate. She she she's she's funny. And and one thing I, I was trying to figure this out: what is the worst part of this movie? Because I'm def- I can defend this movie till till until I go blue in the face, kind of like how I was with Game of Thrones for a long time. Um, and one thing she, I said, oh, she, I can't I, I can't I can't figure this out. And she just goes, "How about the fact?" That we don't get to see Gwyneth Paltrow's fucking head in that box. That's the worst part of this movie because she 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 dislikes Gwyneth Paltrow. So I was I like, I hate Gwyneth Paltrow, <laughs> but I yeah. also think it's better that we don't see it. No, no, absolutely. We, we both agree that it's like way better. But like, I think I jokingly she was like, I want to see her fucking head in that box, uh, and I just was like, that that that's amazing. Yeah, I'm not upset about Gwyneth Paltrow being decapitated. <laughs> and then like she walked away into the kitchen, and I could barely hear. Her, and then she just under her breath was like. She named her kid Apple, and it wasn't to me. It was just to herself, and I was like, this is amazing. Do you think because uh, – Seconded. You, will, this, will this throw a wrench in your thing? Do you think uh, they named their kid Apple after Apple Records because the father is fucking Chris Martin? Uh, this this Coldplay did they did they what's no, their, their music he's a British musical guy. What's their affiliation with Apple? Apple closed years ago. Yeah, but they just like it's a it's a reference. They just like it. That's where they get the name from. But it, what and if it's what if they got it because they're just a big Beatles fans and that's what unless oh, or she could have been like, well, we're gonna go with banana, but Apple's my second favorite fruit. I don't know. Could I, I, I mean Apple? Like you're gonna go with Apple? If you're gonna go with like a Beatle reference, you could name it George. <laughs> or John. It's too traditional. Too traditional. <laughs> okay. All right. You're right. Apple. Apple is is yeah. I don't know. She rubs me the wrong way, but she you know. Listen, with all the fucking like, there's so many worse names today than Apple. Honestly, that it's like they were just ahead of the curve. Mug. Mug <laughs> <Yeah>. Costanza. <laughs> when you have fucking dipshit name and his wife naming their kid like uh, equal sign plus sign eight seven plus sign like. Uh, you, 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 Apple's really not that bad in retro. I wonder. I wonder if George Costanza wanted to name his his kid Seven because of this movie. Maybe it's possible. It's a great name. I mean, if there is anybody named Apple listening to this right now, sorry. So is it Apple Martin or is it Apple Paltrow? <laughs> I think it's Apple Martin. Martin. Oh, uh, I mean Apple Paltrow is one f- hell of a name, but Apple Paltrow. It's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Derek's least favorite thing is is that the actress named her daughter or her child something weird. Yeah, that's, uh, that's what it is. <laughs> so let's go to medals, Jen. Who is your bronze medal? 
This one was tough for me to, to rank them, but I went with Brad Pitt from a bronze. I thought he gave a really good performance. Brad Pitt to me, like he goes, sometimes I find him to be really good. And then other times I'm like, oh, he's phoning it. And like, he's just relying on his good looks. But in this movie, I Ocean's feel like 12, he really, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> in this movie, I feel like he really, really does a great job. And my favorite little fun fact is that he bought his own ties for this movie because his ties are super great in this movie. They're like quintessential 90s, like, oh, just terrible prints. It's great. <laughs> All right. Derek, who's your bronze medal? Uh, so this was really tough for me too i went back and forth back and forth back and forth so brad pitt is my bronze and it was tough because i was trying to pair him with morgan freeman and have them tie but i just liked morgan freeman a little bit better but yeah i think brad pitt's great in this i think that uh i think that this is a good movie for like an early career choice type thing like i don't know if i could see brad pitt doing this nowadays because he's too much like he's too aldo rain for me now from inglorious bastards uh taking on funnier accents <laughs> and being more goofy but i like serious brad pitt here and i like how he plays off of morgan freeman they have really good chemistry and not because they're just thrown in a movie together but it works um, even the small little like nuances where like Morgan Freeman's character like f tells him to go downstairs and, and like ask neighbors questions and then Brad Pitt just puts a flashlight up to his face like are you fucking serious? Doesn't say anything, just flashes a light in his face and he looks back at him like and then Brad Pitt's like all right like I just I like the little small nuances between those two characters and uh, I, I agree with you I think that sometimes Brad Pitt does phone it in in this movie just a couple of scenes here and there I'm like you know and the thing the thing watching I'm like He's so good looking that like, it's almost sometimes it's distracting. Like I'm like, do, do detectives really look like this type thing? But, <laughs> but uh, no, well, he does after, a great after job. 20 years in the city, they look like, all look like Morgan Freeman. or <laughs> Right, or, right. That's exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. It's two um, options. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he's my bronze. My bronze, I went with as much as I hate to do it, Kevin Spacey. You know, we, we talked about it. Bad human. But yeah. Uh, I couldn't. I couldn't meddle him. Just yeah, for that I, I get it. I get it. But like, literally, my number one scene in the movie is like when he shows up till the end of the movie. So like, yeah, okay. yeah. So yeah, you know, yeah he does to, give. Yeah. I mean, terrible human being, but he does give an incredible performance in this movie. Yes, and, and there's only acquaintance, not there's a only future a guest. There's only a few actors that can do that. There's, there's another movie that I can compare this to. Like you said, when, when Kevin Spacey hits the screen, the movie becomes something else a little bit. He just brings the movie somewhere else. And another actor I can think about is the movie Backdraft. That's about like firemen. When Robert De Niro enters the movie in the middle of the movie, it's just the intensity of the movie just changes completely. Um, so some actors just have an ability to do that. And, and despite Kevin Spacey like, being a horrible human being, like it sucks every movie he's in He's pretty spectacular in, except for maybe a couple which I haven't seen. But everything I've seen him in, I'm in like, oh my god, American Beauty. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the movie where he has the limp. Yeah, the Usual Suspects. Usual Suspects. Yeah, yeah so movie like he's just tremendous. But it's yeah, yeah. Anyways, that's just my thing. Yeah, I mean, like, I for for the 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 film nerds that are listening, and I know a few of you out there will will appreciate this. When he shows up in this movie, it is like Orson Welles showing up in The Third Man. That which is one of my favorite movies as well, which I, I hope to do one day, but uh, on the show. But it's, well, we will. We're doing yeah, all. We're doing every movie. Every single movie ever made. Ever. Yeah. Ever. And that's that's one that I really do want to do. I think that that would be really fun. But that's it's it's exactly like that where it's like a guy shows up, and it's just the movie is 
different from that point forward. Jen, who's your silver? My silver went to Morgan Freeman. I mean, Morgan Freeman is Morgan Freeman. Can't get much better than that. I think he just does a great job with this role. He is able to play it so well. I just really enjoy anything that Morgan Freeman does. So, Yeah. Phenomenal performance. Derek, your silver? Yeah, my, it was a tie between Morgan Freeman and Kevin Spacey here. And, you know, I'm not going to go on about Kevin Spacey because I already have, but Morgan Freeman is one of those actors where he doesn't have to be big in a scene. He doesn't have to be the loudest. He doesn't have to be anything. His subtle moments are some of the best on screen uh, acting that there is. And the one scene that I love was two scenes specifically, and they both involve Tracy, is when Somerset is, he meets Tracy at like the, the restaurant and they have that discussion. And it's just, it's just so real. It's like one of the mo- more real scenes in the movie where like, he's trying to like find a way to connect with her in a way and tell him, tell her about his past and like all these things. And, and, and I almost, I, I, I'm a very emotional person. So when I just hear dialogue that just speaks to me, it makes me emotional. And one of the things was like, when he's like, and if you do decide to have this baby, you just spoil it every day you can. And it's just really good acting and a really, really sweet moment between both of them. And another time is when Somerset goes to dinner over their house and they're in the middle of dinner and the whole house just shakes. And they just have this really wonderful laugh together, all three of them. Yeah. And Morgan Freeman just laughs so hysterically that just like, you can't help but laugh with him just because of Morgan Freeman just has like this like aura around him. It's just like, you know, he's just a lovable guy, you know? So he's, he's, he's tremendous. Right. Um, it's I still... one of the only like happy moments in the whole right. yeah. thing. Exactly. Yep. Uh, so my silver is Morgan Freeman. And I just kept thinking, this is this movie's the year after Shawshank, mm. and how how Somerset and Red are similar in some ways, but they come to different conclusions. Like they're both beaten down by their past, and they're yep. so just worn down and 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 ground down into just like complete pessimism. And Red gets Andy who is able to be like, here's the hope here. Hope is a good thing. Right. Hold on to hope. And, and Somerset gets mills where it's like everything that you love will be destroyed no matter what you do. And it's just, it's, it's so interesting to me that this guy gets to play two characters that just come to, so, that are so similar in so many ways, but come to different conclusions it's it it really got me but i mean the performance itself as well is is phenomenal it's you know i talked about a little bit later it's like uh, or a bit earlier i should say um where he just sees mills and what is going to become of him if not for like the incident at the end of this movie but the scene especially when they're in their car and mills like can't remember the guy, the name of the guy who died in his arms, or the guy who died in the in the ambulance with him, and and Somerset is just like kind of looking at him, just like it's already starting, right? Yeah. You're, you know, your your life, your vigor, like, and I don't remember if he knows that that Tracy is pregnant yet. Somerset does, but he's just like he feels bad for like the slow motion car wreck that he can't do anything to stop. Yeah. And it's it's such a it's such a, a interesting take. So let's go to gold. Jen, who's your gold medal winner? I went with the director, David Fincher. 
I love so many things about this movie. All of the uh, incredible details that he put into this um, from, you know, the, the way that the camera was held, you know, the angles that he chose, the, the shots when he did tight shots and when he chose to go out, just how dark everything is like the way that they, you know, specially treated the film to give everything that like really dirty, grungy feel. And then, well, I mean, I, I guess it's not totally him, but the soundtrack to this movie is also just incredible. Like not just the soundtrack, but like the, the sound effects that they use in this movie. Like Derek was talking about the diner scene. And I just remember like when we were just rewatching this, like in the diner scene, like you really feel like you're there because you hear like the bell jingle and then you hear food on the grill and you hear like people shuffling, clanging their dishes and their silverware. And it's just like every little detail is there. Yep. There's like nothing that's forgotten in this movie. Derek, who's your gold? This is the, uh, this is a trifecta for me. It, this is very similar to what I did in the two towers when I picked three, the triangle. And that is uh, an, uh, David Fincher, the director, the writer, Andrew Kevin Walker, and the crew. Um, you know, the, it's just so hard to just pinpoint one thing in this movie that's excellent because everything is. Um, the makeup, the cinematography, the, the, the camera work, the soundtrack, the writing, the directing, it's like, sometimes you just get magic in a bottle and that's what this movie is for me. It's like every scene I'm there and there's something about this movie and, and Jen, you, you said it before and I love this. I was thinking about it earlier as well is how like you do see all these graphic things, but it, this movie still somehow lets you just imagine more and it yeah. makes, and it makes the aura around this movie even bigger for me. And I'm like, we don't we don't get to see and i and i think that's the best part of the movie is that you don't see these gruesome things you just see the aftermath i think it's it's almost like um what's that uh show hannibal that that yep. was that was on recently and you just see these gruesome deaths and it was almost like the director was making art like look at look at how this person is dead on the stage with a cello through their entire body coming out of their mouth like that is seven to me. It's like it, they're on the same like level there. And again, we're, we're doing silence next week, but it just, it, it's, it's all, it's, it's everybody, everybody involved in this film did something, you know, specifically wonderful. And it, it's hard for me to pinpoint. So it's the whole crew director and writer. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to go with David Fincher for my gold because not only is it so well directed, it, it's so Fincher. It's his stamp is on it in, in such a huge way. I mean, he's coming off of, as far as movies go, he's a big music video director, like really memorable ones. He directed like the Madonna Vogue video. He directed Janie's Got a Gun, the music video, which are like very memorable videos, regardless of how you even feel about the songs. And he gets Alien 3, doesn't work out so well. He's kind of steamrolled by like the studio and, and, and the, the star and it just doesn't work for him. And he's like, all right, this is my, this is my shot. You know, he's, he's, you know, he's Hamiltoning up. He's, he's, uh, he's not gonna, he's not throwing away a shot here. And then he like, this is just the start of every movie pretty much after, after this is like a huge deal for him. So this is his filmography. So seven, the game, which is an unbelievable movie. It's under, underappreciated fight club, 
Panic Room, Zodiac, Benjamin Button, The Social Network, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Gone Girl, and Mank. Fincher, just incredible. So let's go to recasting. This should be a fun one. Now, Jen, I know you were struggling. Do you have? Um, yeah, I came up with a few. Okay. Right. Um, so we'll go, let's go through the, the roles that, that we recast. So I did Somerset, Mills, John Doe, and Tracy. Yep, I, I only did Somerset and Tracy. Okay. All right. So let's start with the ones that Jen didn't do, and we'll get to, you know, we'll, we'll end with all three of us. So Mills, let's start with Mills. Derek, who is your Mills? My Mills. That was this whole thing is tough to recast. Yeah, because we all love this really cast. Yeah. Uh, this actor could have played Mills or John Doe, in my opinion. But I, okay. I, I liked him as Mills, and I went with Adam Driver. I have him as John Doe. That is awesome. John Doe I, would be better. Yeah. I, I I don't know. I kind of like because especially in early things, I've seen him in like girl. The first thing I saw him in was Girls. Uh, that's the name of the show, I believe, yeah. on HBO, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, he was such a dick. And I just love him playing a dick. He's so good at it. And he's, he can be that person. And I could picture him just being that just asshole in this movie, just being cocky. But I guess at this stage of his career, maybe at this point, he's like, yeah. not go- he's becoming more subtle and playing like very mm-hmm. interesting characters. But I don't know. I kind of like the dynamic between this actor and who I picked for, for Somerset. So let me, let me pitch Adam Driver's John Doe. You need somebody who's going to walk into the movie and basically take over the movie. Uh, that's what I have for John Doe, so I don't know what you're talking about. So I think Adam Driver <laughs> would be the one to do it. So my Mills is I thought of a guy who is kind of on in the same way that Brad Pitt was a star at this point, but not like a you know A plus list star. I have a guy who is like kind of a heart heartthrob in the same way that Brad Pitt is. I know was a great actor. And could really use like that next step to becoming like one of our biggest stars. And that is Michael B. Jordan. I think he's too young. He is older than Brad Pitt when Brad Pitt was in this movie, I believe. Let me double check. He's right around the same age. So Michael B. Jordan was born. He's 34. And Brad Pitt. Yeah, Brad Pitt is definitely in a definitely late 20s, early 30s, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Brad Pitt was born in 63. So at the time this came out, he was 32. Oh, right. So yeah, he's, he's older than Brad Pitt was when this came out. So I think, all right. So who's your, who is your John Doe, Derek? My John Doe is uh, an actor who's, uh, he's in the top 20. Got to be in the top 20, top 30 at least. I've seen him in so many things. He's done everything you can ever think of. He's done it all. He's, he's fucking brilliant. And that's Edward Norton. Everything he touches is gold. He can play anything. And I just picture him sitting in the back seat being a fucking creep and piece of shit. And I yeah. think he could do it. So, I mean, the guy went from, you know, uh, primal fear where he plays this like feeble guy and he's not so feeble and he's two different people. And then he's in American history X and he's like this neo-Nazi who's ripped. Uh, he can do so many things. He's one of those actors who can reinvent himself. So why not John Doe, you know, yeah. somebody, right. somebody like, somebody like Norton can really, he, I think he's like a Kevin Spacey where he can dissect any character he, you know, and one thing I'll mention before we move on is Edward Norton was, I think, seven in his first thing he's ever done on stage. And the director said, uh, apparently, when Ed, he was working with Edward Norton, Edward Norton was doing a scene and Edward Norton stopped the stage production completely during rehearsal. And he's like, excuse me, what's my motive here? And the kid was fucking seven. That checks out. Uh, you know, he was seven <laughs> and asked about that, you know, so you, we all know that Norton's one of those actors. So I think. Well, and. 
and and, just, and we we know from Fight Club that that he and uh, and Fincher work well together. So that's true. Yeah. So that's different. Very different choices. Very different choices. So let's go to the ones that we we all three have. Uh, let's start with Tracy. So Jen, who did you have for Tracy? Uh, literally anyone but Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, no. <laughs> Rick Barrasso um, has been cast as Tracy Mills. <laughs> I would hate that less. Um, <laughs> so for that, I mean, I think the way that the way Gwyneth Paltrow gave the performance in that movie, I, I, I just think anybody could have given that performance. So if you want that same kind of performance, it doesn't really matter. I think that character could have been developed a little bit more. We could have gotten a little more emotion from her. I don't, I don't know. So I went with either Chloe Grace Moretz, um, cause I think that she could do some really make it more of like a dark or despondent type character. And then from Black Widow, which we just saw, um, Florence Pugh. Yeah. I think that she has been incredible in everything that I've seen her recently. So I think that she could do a lot with that role of Tracy. Yeah. Florence Pugh was my number two choice for this. I really like, because we talked about my sort of thought process in casting this role is that Gwyneth (laughs) Paltrow kind of plays it as like kind of a meek character. She's just bland. Yeah. My Tracy is like, to me, Gwyneth Paltrow's Tracy is like a bird in a cage. And Tracy, I think in, in my version, is like a tiger in a cage. Like she yeah. is, she wants to get out. And she, like her circumstances have just led her to this awful city. So I went with an actress who I think could do that. And I think Florence Pugh could as well. I almost think the role is too small for Florence Pugh. Like, that's why I didn't go with her. But I went with uh, an actress who I do really like, and that is Evan Rachel Wood. That's a good choice. Yeah. Just uh, just the way I was I was thinking of the role. I mean... I literally just watched the movie with her. Yeah, so. I like her, too. Yeah. I like her, too. I like her, really her, yeah, her in Westworld. I think she'd be, she'd be perfect for my vision of the character. So, Derek, who is your Tracy? So, uh, in order for this role to work, I think it has to be very similar to the way to, that it was portrayed by Gwyneth Paltrow. And the reason is is because I think the fact that this woman is, is, is meant to be this like really sweet, sweet housewife who is very unsure of herself, doesn't tell her husband everything, mm-hmm. especially with big things. I think it works so well to when she's dead, it's really fucked up. Yeah. And I think that I wanted to pick an actress who has that sort of like cutesiness to her, like like that really that that girl you just want to hug and like she's sweet and and that type of thing. So I went with an actress who I know very well from a show that we all know very well, um, and I thought she would just knowing her being in this movie and then having her be decapitated would be really horrifying. And that was Amelia Clark, and I, I think that. Uh, playing that housewife and just being the cutesy like she the way she smiles and the way her eyebrows look and that you know she's that i can't really describe it besides being cute i'm sure there's there's more adjectives but i would just think it would be horrifying for somebody like that to be to be killed like that and so brutally i think it would really make because at the end of the movie it's supposed to be like you know it's one of those endings like the mist where you're like are you you fucking kidding me you know, and that's what Seven is. And I think that an actress like that, and I, yeah. I kind of I, I kind of feel the opposite about the tiger. I think that it has to be kind of a bird. And that's just my opinion because I think it plays off to everything else I, so well. I think what we're getting at is that like 
Tracy needs to be in one way or another so full of life and so, like I want to care about her as a character yes, and yeah, I just right, and, right. and whether and I can see both ways I'm like I, I I don't think you know I think that the movie was going for what you were going for Derek when, when you cast the character but I think just like I think having like the energy cut off be it like you know the, the tiger in the cage or the bird in the cage you know, she needs to be either so sweet and so adorable that like you can't imagine, you can't fathom something so awful happening to her, or she needs to be like a driving force that it's like, how can you snuff out that fire? Well, if, for me, and, and actually it's funny you say fire because it reminds me a little bit the way the ending is, is of uh, the season five uh, of Game of Thrones where Sharice Baratheon gets burned at the stake. And no matter what happens after that, it doesn't matter what happens after that. I don't care that there's fucking dragons. That scene fucked me up. Yeah. And it's because she's so innocent. And that's what I think plays well in the movie is that Tracy's an innocent woman who just wants yeah. to have her husband home and she misses him and she's pregnant. And she wants to live in, the, in a farm somewhere probably. <laughs> and then she gets brutally murdered. So it's, it, that's what, that's what really makes my stomach turn is that, you know what I mean? If she was a stronger actress like Scarlett Johansson, I probably wouldn't have cared as much because I would have been like, well, she knew the risks, you know, type mentality. Something on that line. No. But, well, no, I don't mean knew the risks. I just mean that, like, I don't know. I feel like if somebody was... The uh, risks of what? Not the risk, but just like if somebody was a little bit more brash or she was like kind of on the level of Mills or she was strong, a, a strong-willed woman. Strong-willed women deserve to be decapitated, Derek? Is that uh, what I'm hearing? I mean, obviously. I mean, listen, no, that is I the mean, official policy Women of the show should be seen and not women... heard. Is that what you're saying? I mean, you took the words out of my mouth, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I just mean... You, uh, well, apparently the most important characteristic no. in your woman is that she's cute. So. Well, I, I, all I'm saying is that it plays better to the ending. I think, and I think that if it was like, a, a, I get it. A, I, if her if her character was stronger and and like you know we we you know she, we knew more about her and she was like I'm getting out of here and I'm doing this, it would have been sad. But because she's just not a cute little bird stuck in a cage, I don't think it plays as well. That's just my opinion, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I think like one way or another, the important thing about it, about Tracy is that like John Doe turns out the light. And <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, and that, and like, all that and it's like whatever you want that to be whatever you want that character to represent, she has to represent that fully and completely. And I don't think that Gwyneth Paltrow necessarily does that. And I get I that like at the time, I believe Brad Pitt and Gwyneth Paltrow were a real life couple. Yep. Which seems to be a pattern with Brad Pitt. He, uh, <laughs> he, like, Rick, if you were in a movie with Brad Pitt, you'd probably be in a relationship right now too. I mean, I mean, he's a good looking guy. I think we can all admit If he that. asked nicely, <laughs> I would consider it. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he's, I think that maybe had it, made it have a little bit more resonance, maybe the people who saw it at the time. I think she, she, did, she did a serviceable job, but it wasn't, it, it, it didn't outshine anybody. <laughs> I agree. I agree with that. I think we've, I'm shocked at the amount of time we spent on Tracy because it's, well, it's, it's like, interesting because it's such an important <laughs> yeah. part. It's such an important, and obviously it, strong-willed women should be decapitated. So we got that out of this yes, conversation. Yes. Right. Ab absolutely. We, we, we know what Derek said. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't saying that. There was nothing in what I was saying. That I, that All right, let's go. Let's go to Somerset. This is a tough one because as Jen and I discussed, and I, I, we don't know each other's picks, but we talked about how, it's so tough to recast Morgan Freeman because Morgan Freeman has like an innate quality that really nobody else has. Yeah. So yeah. Jen, 
I'm very interested. Who is your Somerset? So I had two that I thought could work well in this role. And one was Denzel Washington, who actually was originally offered the role of Mills when this film was going to shoot and he turned it down. Um, But I think current day Denzel Washington would make a really good Somerset. And then my other option was James McAvoy. I felt like he could give. Yeah. But as we were talking about it, I actually think now he might be a better choice for John Doe. I think he might be. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Although I'm going to move my recasting of James McAvoy into the John Doe role. Is it too similar to. That's what I was going to say. He might, people might think at that point he's typecast just being the wacky guy. He's been in so much stuff, though. Can you really typecast him? Yeah, well, he, he, he plays normal so well, and then he plays he's wacky so well. He's an He is. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's the beast does have, like he's bald and he like does have or, you know, he has that. Yeah, I can I can see I can see that. Yeah, McAvoy is a good choice for for John Doe. Uh, I I mean, to me, Somerset is somebody who's fundamentally started off as a really good person who just wanted to help everybody and has become just really jaded by life uh, and, and everything that he's seen. And I thought that Denzel could give that kind of like little bit of warmth, but also that like really kind of dejected, haunted kind of performance. Derek, uh, so I don't think skin color means a damn thing in this movie sure. whatsoever. And I haven't in any other movie and I never will really. But for some reason, I, I just liked I just liked the fact the way they casted this movie. I, I liked that there was the older sort of like uh, subtle African-American man who's been through it all and this like brash white guy. And I just liked the, the dynamic between the two of them. So I kind of, I still went with the same kind of pattern just because I had my Adam Driver as Detective Mills. Mm-hmm. And I actually went with uh, Idris Elba, Detective Somerset. I think he's one of those actors who can do a lot of different things. And one thing I, I especially, and lately I saw him in the Thor movies and I like how he's sort of like, supposed to be this like you know this guy with a sword and he's a protector yeah. but he's kind of soft-spoken and i feel like he'd bring a lot to this role i think it would be similar to morgan freeman in, in that sense um and i think his warmth would would, would uh would send this movie flying so that, that's my pick i like it Elba a lot he just might be a little too jacked <laughs> he's to- too pretty <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I think that uh, makeup does a lot of things. And, and you know what? If, if, if we, we saw anything with makeup and the way this movie was, I mean, you know, I think he'd look the part. Um, I mean, I had I I dress him up. You have to tone I, him down a lot. I actually, you know what? I'm, I'm sorry. I did have Idris Elba as the sloth victim. So interesting, <laughs> interesting that we had the same. I mean, okay. <laughs> no, so... <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I. I mean, Brad Pitt was originally my gluttony victim, but yeah, yeah that's went a different direction there. We <laughs> my gluttony victim was uh, was Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> no, I have to eat everything. He gets nominated for an Academy Award for playing that part. No <laughs> he, lines. He, he's like wheeled up to the. He's wheeled up to the stage. He's like, I'm shooting for a role. At the Oscars, is that microphone? Like the, the announcement background. Like Daniel Day Lewis has been nominated seven times. He gained 485 pounds for this role. <laughs> <laughs> I um I was reading uh about other offers that got made to actors who had turned roles down in this movie and that two I thought were really interesting whereas some for Somerset they offered it to Al Pacino and to Robert Duvall and I feel like yes, that just would have been a totally different movie though 
Well, you know, I'll be honest, Duvall and Sean Penn did the same thing in colors. Duvall was the older cop and Sean Penn was the brash piece of shit asshole. It's the same thing in seven. So I, I think that's probably why they offered it to Duvall because he's done it before. Mm-hmm. But um, of course, it wasn't as brutal in colors. I mean, there was a lot of graphic violence, but nothing compared to seven. So I, I, but Al Pacino, I mean, I mean, he was in heat the same year. Yeah, it's it, like, it's I mean, almost <laughs> like he's like, I'm going to play an old beat down cop in one of these. Al just because like Al Pacino I mean especially in later years he's known for just being like I'm just gonna be like this and be loud so like I don't know if Al has the upper hand (laughs) yeah like Al Pacino would have been like the opposite yeah he wouldn't I don't know if Morgan Freeman Pacino can do a lot of things but like I don't know if at that level he'd bring a lot of warmth to the role like Morgan Freeman does yeah yeah no definitely not Tracy why are you telling me this (laughs) Your house is fucking shaking. What the hell? Ha ha ha. Yeah, just totally different movie. I think the stars just perfectly aligned with this this cast. I think I'm not convinced that any of our recastings would improve it. I, I agree. Especially at the time, I think Morgan Freeman was the guy for this. I went with again, it was very tough. And this I went with a guy who I've seen in a lot of stuff. His most famous role, at least at this point, is a guy who is very, but he is a great actor. He can he can pretty much do anything, and it he, he seems to be kind of typecast into these kind of very reserved type of roles at this point. But I think he would play a great sort of beatdown cop, and that is Giancarlo Esposito, and that is Gus yeah. Fring from Breaking yeah, Bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. I wanted somebody who could bring something unique to it, you know, because because like we said, Morgan Freeman is go he is gonna nobody else is gonna be him. So anyone that we cast is gonna be different in one way or another. Yeah, yeah. So let's go to quickly Twitter follow of the week, and I have found at Fincher Analyst which is exactly what it sounds like, is a Twitter account that analyzes the work of David Fincher. Give them a follow. It's a very interesting uh, Twitter account here. Let's go to what this movie does best. And I'll go first, because it's kind of hard to put into words. I think it is that, along with Silence of the Lambs, the movie that sits the best between it perfectly balances as all things should be between thriller and horror movie because there are images in this movie that are 100% horror and there are aspects of the movie which are not crafted like a horror movie so it really like strikes that perfect balance in a way that a lot of movies can't so that's what I've got Jen, did you have one? Basically the same. I, I really liked how it walked the line between kind of being that like suspenseful thriller and that really true kind of horror, gory type movie without having all of that, you know, direct violence in it. Yeah. A, a lesser movie shows Tracy opening the door. A horror movie in a lot of ways. Like a, that kind of trashy horror movie. And I love trashy horror movies, don't get me wrong. Shows mm-hmm. Tracy opening the door. And, you right. know, it, you know it, it, it shows a lot more. And I love this movie for everything that it doesn't show you. And yep. where it allows you to kind of fill in the blanks. Yep. And a thriller, if it goes the other direction, 
it doesn't have the such gore like implied or not like it the, a, a thriller is not gonna have the gluttony victim on the slab in a morgue being like they he kicked him so till he burst like it's just that's that's not in that you know whereas this movie kind of straddles that line it walks that line however you want to put it and can have all of it derek yeah, you both said it. The, the great, great. I, I felt the same way. I mentioned it even when the episode started. Is and, and Jen, you said it the best. I think it just walks the line of what is this movie. It opens the doors to so many different things. Even like subtle scenes, like the scene where Somerset's in the library and he's just looking at like the Canterbury Tales and John Milton and all these different things. Like it's it, it it even has a creepiness about it. Like and it's not even. I don't know if it's even trying to be, but just him reading these old poems and old books about like the seven layers of hell and the seven deadly sins it's like just just him reading about it is creepy and they do it in such a in such a wonderful way and it's uh that's i mean you you said it the best it walks the line of so many different uh interesting genres and it just pulls them all together into this fucking 10 out of 10 film so i agree with you both all right so let's go to the oscars movie was released in 95 oscars took place in 96 crazy year <laughs> crazy yeah. year for the oscars mid 90s in general just like whoa so this is only nominated for one oscar it is nominated for best editing which is well deserved mm-hmm. uh, but it does not win apollo 13 wins and i get it it's very apollo 13 is a good movie and it's very oscary and obviously the critics did not know what to make of this movie at the time this is definitely one of those movies that's looked yeah. looked back on more fondly than it was appreciated in its time. This is not your typical movie that you would see win an Oscar. <laughs> sure. Right, right. So let's go to the major categories this year. And there's one that sticks out like a sore, sore thumb. Dumb and Dumber. No, but <laughs> I know. We'll, we'll get to it. So Best Picture is won by Braveheart, which, again, you know, Mel Gibson, uh, charitably we'll say an interesting figure but uh, Braveheart's a great movie and it's very Oscary. Apollo 13 is nominated very Oscary. Sense and Sensibility with Emma Thompson uh, in the lead role is nominated. Uh, the Postman which is you know, an Italian film I believe. The fifth nominee. Do, do either of you know who it is or what it is just based uh, based on the year? I'm just trying to think of 95 but I, You're not going to get it just based on the year. It is a children's movie. Okay. Is it Disney? No. Is it is it Ferngully? Anastasia? No. <laughs> we both went with the two that I know that aren't Disney. It's not a cartoon. <laughs> okay. Is it? Could you give us a hint? Is there an actor that we might be able to figure it out? Uh, I'm trying to think of one that won't give it away. It is. It's got animals. Jumanji. No. Damn it! That's uh, a '95 movie, though, good isn't guess. it? Good guess. It's a good, good, guess, it's a good guess. Um, man. Doctor Doolittle? No. A babe? No. Babe. <laughs> a babe? Oh, got it. You got it. <laughs> babe, babe? Was, babe was nominated for best <sighs> picture. Wow. Which I'm all for because I love that movie. It's just fucking weird that it's a nominee for best picture. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird choice. Just tremendous filmmaking with Babe. <laughs> it really you like we're joking but you're right it is like i it mean is. it's kind of a joke though in a way with i don't know so i think 
seven belongs here. Yes. I would say we kick out sense and sensibility. It's too like it's too Oscar-y. It's I've like, never seen it, I, 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 and I haven't seen the Postman either. And I'm sure if it's a foreign film, it gets, I don't know, Babe, man. Even your cat disagrees. Babe, uh, Titus is a big Babe fan, actually. He okay. hates people, so like whenever there's an animal in a movie, he's pro that. I, I'm going with Babe. I, I think Jen's the, the the tiebreaker here. Jen, you're. I would I would kick kick out Babe. Yeah. <sighs> this kills me. We're gonna <laughs> <break it. laughs> enjoy that. I, that was not a movie I enjoyed as a kid. The commercial annoyed me. That was on all the time for it. I don't. I didn't like it. Rick, I don't want to ruin your night, but we're kicking all Babe right. out. All right. I guess Babe. Babe's gotta babe, go. Babe is is going to market. Fuck you. <laughs> that little piggy. Yep. <laughs> I, I actually want to do a Babe episode coming up. That would be, be fun. So, uh, so Babe is out. Seven is in. Best Director. Mel Gibson wins for Braveheart. Chris Noonan is nominated for Babe, former Best Picture nominee. Tim Robbins for Dead Man Walking. Mike Figgis for Leaving Las Vegas. And Michael Radford for The Postman. Fincher's got to be in. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta boot out the babe director. Yeah. <laughs> this hurts, Chris Noonan. I mean, I saw it as a kid. Well, I saw, it as, I, I saw it as a I'll kid, say. and I wasn't moved by this movie. I'm sorry. Here's what I'll say, and I'm more okay with kicking him out of director than I am with picture because there's actually with Babe a lot of controversy on over who is more responsible for the movie because Chris Noonan has literally no career after this like his he directed babe in 1995 and his next movie was in 2006 and it was called miss potter and no one ever heard of it uh whereas a it's a fucking biopic of the the author of peter rabbit no one ever heard of it but a very, I, I think i actually have heard of it but okay i never saw it but george miller who is the director of the of the Mad Max movies and of has a super weird career, but has more of a career may have had more to do with directing that movie who actually directed the witches of Eastwick as well that we just watched. So he, he may be more responsible for babe than, than Chris Newton is. I haven't seen that, which I've always wanted to. Oh, I love it. So good. I'll check it out. So I disagree, but no, I like it. It's a good movie. <laughs> it's, 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 it should be better than it is with that cast. Interesting. And there's there's a lot of with that there's a lot of studio interference and there's a lot of like weird stuff on that set as well. We'll save it for our Witches of Eastwick episode. Jan, you're okay. welcome on for that one. So, all right, Chris Noonan out, David Fincher in, Best Actor. Let's hear yes. him. Okay, so who first? Who are we considering the lead actor? You gotta go with Freeman, right? Okay, Freeman. Okay, Best Actor winner. Is Nicolas Cage for Leaving Las Vegas? Oh, Lord. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Other nominees are good friend Richard Dreyfus for Mr. Holland's Opus. Ooh, our future good friend from next week, Anthony Hopkins in Nixon, Sean Penn in Dead Man Walking, and Massimo Troisi in The Postman. I say we keep the I, I'd keep the foreign one just because it's it's there for a reason. Sean Penn is Sean Penn. I mean, he's great. Uh, I want Freeman in there. I think he deserves to be in there. I just don't know who we knock out. Oh, of course I know who we knock out. What am I talking about? Nicolas Cage. Cage stays in. Yeah. 
I'm cage stays in. I'm taking a stand. We gotta hey. kick somebody else out. I don't know. It's a two Patrick, against. It's a two against one, Rick. Why? Why are you so passionate about Cage in this situation? Because I want to live in a world where Nicolas Cage won Best Actor. It's, we do, unfortunately. <laughs> but I mean, is has he ever been the best actor in your opinion? I mean, I think he's f- tremendous in adaptation. Okay, well, let's put it this way. What, what, oh, what, what, I what don't if, like what adaptation do this? at all. <laughs> What if we do? What if we don't kick him out, but he doesn't win? How about that? Okay. I mean, fair. national treasure is a national treasure, but Nicolas Cage is not I just, such a great actor. I just want to point out that he took John Travolta's face off. <laughs> Listen, if, it, if it's not Cage in Moonstruck, I'm not talking about it. All right. All right. Okay. We can kick out Nicolas Cage, but who wins? Who wins? Well, so uh, Sean Penn, foreign dude. Morgan Freeman, Cage, who else? Richard Dreyfuss and Anthony Hopkins. Oh man, mm. I can't. I can't get rid of either of them. I love Mr. Holland's Opus. I think Dreyfuss is great in the role. And Anthony Hopkins, I mean, he's fantastic. I've never seen it, but didn't he just get an Oscar for Silence? He did. Oh, yes. Silence of the Lamb. It's going to be. I mean, Silence of the Lambs literally sweeps the major categories. So this right. is going to be. This that's going to be a weird segment. So uh, next I personally want to get rid of Cage, but. Maybe we could just agree to disagree here. I, 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 I mean, unless you need to make a solid, opinion, a solid decision here. I say we knock out Sean Penn. I'm not a huge Penn guy. I mean, I, I know that. I, I know that. And then you disappoint me. But I'm fine with whatever decision you make at this point. I think we're spending too much time in this category. I'll, I'll not, I'll, just to save time and not having to pick a new winner, we'll kick out Sean Penn. No, even even if you know you're a bigger Penn fan than I, it's not his his best role. Even though even though Penn's better than Cage, we're leaving Cage in for some reason. But Cage go ahead. one, Cage one's the Derek, role. We, it's not the guy. We took away Babe, so we gotta give him <laughs> right, Cage. We took away Babe twice. Babe and we Cage. took away Babe twice. Yeah. Okay. All right. So all right, uh, <laughs> Sean Penn out. You know what's interesting? Nick a Cage movie, stays in. A movie that came out this year that we have not mentioned, but got a, a nomination for best actress is Casino. I brought that movie up three times yesterday at work. So no, nobody for best actress or best supporting actress in this, uh, I don't think. Best supporting actor. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But Kevin Spacey needs to be in that five. Uh, interesting you say that because the winner for best supporting actor this year is Kevin Spacey for The Usual Suspects. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess... Uh... All right, I guess nobody gets nominated from seven then. Because Brad Pitt's great, but I don't, I don't see him as a, a getting a nom for this. Uh, interesting you say, because nominated in this, uh, in this category is Brad Pitt for 12 Monkeys. Wow. <laughs> well, that's a fantastic movie, too. So yeah, yeah. Okay I think, so is, is Brad Pitt better in this or in 12 Monkeys? Ooh, it's, it's, also, it's also the role, though. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he, it's, it's tough. It's like, it's like, is Joaquin Phoenix better as the Joker or is he better as, in, in the master? It's like they're both different roles, you know? Well, let's, I mean, just, we'll just go through it. And I think, I think we can't kick any of these people out because we can't, I don't want to have two people nominated for different roles in the same year, unless it's like crazy. And I, I, other nominees are James Cromwell and Babe, Ed Harris and Apollo 13 and Tim Roth and Rob Roy. So, I mean, I still think we got to cut out the guy from Babe. James Cromwell is a national treasure. <laughs> Much I mean, like the Nick Cage movie. Honestly, I'm kind of surprised that Joe Pesci's not in there from Casino. I am too. When, mm. when Pesci, when we do our Casino episode, and we will. 
I, he's I he's arguably he more violent in Casino than he is in Goodfellas. Yeah. So, is Spacey better in this, or in Usual Suspects? And is Brad Pitt better in this, or in Twelve Monkeys? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna surprise you both. I've never actually seen Twelve Monkeys, which is surprising. But I would just from that, I would say I, I, my opinion is Spacey's better in Seven. I've seen both of those. He he just brings the movie to another level. You know, it's Usual Suspects. He's there the whole time, and it's a big shock. But he still kind of plays the character kind of like in a subtle way. There's no big, big shocking scene with him in it. Yeah. Like, where, where his acting is phenomenal. But in John Doe, he's, uh, wow, you know? I, I haven't seen Usual Suspects, so I okay. can't really win on that. But okay. I think for me, I, I would give 12 Monkeys. I think I'm in agreement with 12 Monkeys. Because yeah. that is a, that's a movie that you watch and go, I didn't think Brad Pitt could do that. Well, I got to see it though. Yeah. He's, he's, it's really good. Yeah. Spacey though, that one's really tough. That one is really tough because I think he's he's incredible in this, and I think he's incredible in Usual Suspects, and he's in more of Usual Suspects, which would make him more. I think wouldn't he be more of like best actor in that? I no. think Gabriel Byrne is is the main actor in that. Mm. I think Gabriel Byrne is the main actor. Think of the phrase best supporting actor. Think of how Kevin Spacey supports yeah. the movie Seven. We'll, you know what? We'll put it out on social media this week. All see right. if we can get a discussion going. I, I mean, personally, Jim, I, Carrey, Jim Carrey should have swept this for the mask, but whatever. Somebody stop me. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, oh, uh, so, yeah, Jim Carrey in the same year has Ace Ventura, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber. So what's your pick? Your carry. I just pick. I just want to know how much money he made that year. Well, the first two, not much, because he was not a huge star. That's but true. by the time the third one came around, he made twenty million dollars. That's right. So, <laughs> yeah. So we'll put it on social media. I I'm like fifty one forty nine usual suspects. Mm. It's it's close. It's very close. But nobody invests supporting actress. Okay. So I think that's the Oscars for, for this year. Let's go to the most important part of the podcast. And that is when I put 30 seconds on the clock. And Derek tells us why seven, this week's subject, is the greatest movie of all time. Derek, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Three, two, one, go. Seven is the greatest film of all time because it is something that you've never really seen before when you first watch it. It's, you don't really understand what genre it is. It creeps you out. It freaks you out. The makeup's tremendous. The acting's tremendous. The directing's uh, stupendous. It's, it, for me, it's almost like The Godfather where all the way down the line, everything is gold. Um, you know, therefore, I, I feel that it is uh, not only, not only uh, man, it's up there for my movie of the 90s, but the 90s is such a great decade. But if that you haven't seen this time. movie, wait, 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 wait. If you haven't seen this movie, you're a piece of human garbage. I was right, going to say. Now. I'm done. I, I Much like say. Kevin Spacey. <laughs> there you go. Kevin Spacey probably hasn't seen this movie, so. <laughs> so that is going to do it for this week's episode. Next week, we've mentioned a couple times, Silence of the Lambs. The week after that, Catch Me If You Can. And then the first week of August, we're going into our the back half of our Based on a True Story double feature, and that is Moneyball. Ooh, can't wait. Can't wait for all those episodes coming up. So, 
By the yeah. way, fr- fried fried food for seven. Fried food? Why fried food? I just because it's because it's you know it, it will number one gluttony. I want to be a gluttoner in this movie, but also just everything about it. Just it's kind of greasy. You know, it's kind of like it's intense. I want to eat fried chicken fingers and you know what? No, no, no. I want KFC or Popeyes for seven. Just the I just wanna, greasiest I wanna, fried I wanna, chicken. I want a bucket of chicken. So you want to feel disgusting after? Yeah. That. Yeah, I want a bucket of chicken sitting yeah. on my naked stomach, and then me just eating the chicken out of the bucket. And throwing the bones <laughs> under the floor. Uh, so somebody walks in and says, you really are a glutton and a sloth, Derek. I say that all the time. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> news to me. <laughs> oh, maybe you're not around when I do it. But um, yeah, so that's been our episode seven. We hope you enjoyed it. Join us next week. Derek, do you want to plug the album podcast? Or I you... do, yeah. I just okay. We just put out up, uh, Purple Rain by Prince. Me and Gia had a lot of fun because it was a little bit out of our element because we haven't listened to a lot of Prince music, but we had a lot of fun. Some, uh, some hot takes in that episode. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I, I, again, it's not a, a big thing here. People know me. I, I'm not a huge fan of uh, 80s synthesizers. Um, and so it kind of bugged me, but I did like some of the songs. And I actually told Gia afterwards that while I was actually adding the songs, the bits, the clips in, I appreciated the songs a little bit more than I did when I had originally said. So I think my grades may have changed. I did like the album. It's not one of my favorites, but I, I had fun doing it. And then the next episode will be me and Gia doing Elephant by the White Stripes. So we're excited about that. Excellent. Can't wait. Jen, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Well, we'll we're looking forward to your uh, to your eight movie. So uh, we'll, just, we'll just keep going up. So, I mean, when we get, we can get to 12 monkeys. It'll be perfect. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Seriously, let's like, keep this in mind. That's funny. Let's, let's get, we'll get an eight, we get a nine. I don't know. T- 10, 11 will be tough. There's got to be an 11, right? Oh, Ocean's, do, 11. Ocean's 11. Ocean's 11. All right. But at nine, Nine, I don't know. We'll have to. There's a few movies with nine. We can we can figure it out. And this so, gotta we'll be like a sets. Fast and the Furious nine or well, something. We could do, we, like we, could, yeah, we could do uh, that Danvers State Hospital session nine. Session nine. There we go. I bet you. Oh, yeah. good one. Session nine, and then ten. There's a lot of tens. I feel like we'll figure it out. But I, we get we get Jen's next two movies. I'm uh, sure there's a sequel like The Howling Part Ten or something. Well, I don't even want to go Part Ten. <laughs> I just want to. Ten will be in the title. Right. Yeah, that we'll do it, and then we'll do we'll do Ocean's Eleven, and then we'll do Twelve Monkeys. And we'll do 13 cool. Ghosts. And then- <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. All right. So thanks so much for, be- for listening today. I want to thank you so much. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. Join us next week and every week as we watch every single movie ever made. I have been your co-host, Rick Barrasso. And I have been your Hulk Hogan. Yeah, your Hulk host. I've been your Hulk Hogan. I've, have- I've been your Hulk Hogan this week. <laughs> Leg drop. Yeah. I have been your Hulk host, Derek. And uh, all right, that's it. Did we ever figure out what was in the box? Wasn't it her feet? What's in the box? <laughs> What's in the box? Good night, everybody. Keep watching. <laughs>